and begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, on the solemnity of St. Joseph, we ask for his intercession. We pray that you would, especially in a particular way today, by your grace, give us the ability to orient to him as our spiritual father. We pray that if we require healing, it would be mediated through his intercession and any grace that we need this year. We pray it would come through his loving fatherly hands, the hands that you entrusted yourself to. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so welcome everybody. This is session seven. I've been looking forward to this session for a while. It is entitled Marian Devotion, Union with God Through the Hands of His Mother. So as always, a little bit of recap. What are we doing? Why are we doing? The program in general, as you know, is looking at what's the purpose of human life. Why are we here? What are we supposed to do? And the reality is we're designed to become who we actually are. We're designed to become saints. And so to do that, we have to live in alignment with our faith. So that's what we're doing. We're trying to learn what it means to live in alignment with our faith, to actually do it. In this session, we're going to be talking about the person that uh, pulled that off the best, Mary, Jesus's mom. To talk about her, to know what she's actually like and to know what she does, we have to ask the question like, well, what does she do though? You know, like what does she do for us in terms of our spiritual evolution? That's the same thing as asking, well, what's her role in our salvation? If the most important thing is to get from here to heaven, what, is it, what does she do? to help us do that. Think about this, back it up a little bit. The God of the universe had uh, infinite options to save us. Could have done absolutely anything. That's part of being God, you don't have any limitations. So he could have done it in any way. And he, he chose to run his plan past a teenage girl in a backwater town in Israel he chose to come to her and ask, would this be all right with you? I mean, what does that say about the character and the nature of God? You know, it says that he's humble and he picks people who are humble to do his work. So he picked Mary and he picked her even before she was born. Now, why did it have to go down that way? Why did he select her? even before she was born. Because of a very basic principle in the universe, a parent gives to its child its nature. We've talked about it before. Jesus could not have come from a fallen human nature. God can't mix with sin. Being can't mix with non-being, right? He can take the consequence of it onto himself, but in no way does that mean that he's actually guilty of any sin. So he has to save her from that sin so that he can incarnate himself in our nature. And when he comes to Mary humbly and tells her his plan, she says, 
the most significant thing that anybody has ever said. Fiat mihi secundum verbum tuum. Let it be done unto me according to your word. Now juxtapose that to Lucifer. What does Lucifer say when God reveals his plan to him? He says, non serviam, I will not serve. He rejects the will of God, whatever it is. And if we reject it, whatever it is, de facto, we're throwing our hat in with him. It's either Jesus or the other guy. It really is that simple. So Lucifer says, absolutely not to the plan of God. Mary says, I don't 100% know what this means, but if it's what you want, Lord, then of course I'll do it. By your grace, of course I'll do it. That's the model for every single efficacious spiritual movement that happens in our souls, every single one. If it's good, it starts with your will be done. You're God, I'm not. I believe you are all good. The greatest thing I could possibly dream up for myself is not as good as what you want for me. Your will be done. Why does it start with that? Because we humans, we kind of do this weird thing and all of us are guilty of it. We kind of pretend to know God and what he's like, but what we're really doing is creating an idea of him, a complex mental artifice that's not him and trying to get him to match our idea. So the actual God is infinite perfection. Can't make a mistake, can't do anything evil because he's goodness itself. So if he leads us to do or think or say anything, just by right of it coming from him, it has to be better than anything that we would want to do. The greatest example in my life that I can think of, and I've mentioned before as well, is my vocation to the priesthood. You know, I never thought of such a thing. It was a repugnant idea to me. But when I meditated on it, thoughts of marriage brought me despair, and thoughts of priesthood brought me peace. That's not a knock against marriage. That's just the will of God saying, hey, this is why I made you. This is why you're here. So she said yes. And in saying that began the series of events that led to the possibility of our salvation, knocked over that first domino. Here's a question. Could she have said no? Of course, right? She was totally free, like you and I, even more free because she wasn't encumbered by sin. But she said yes to the will of God, and so should we, no matter what it is. No matter what it is. Remember, it doesn't really matter what it is, just that it happens. Okay, the that is more important than the what, because it's coming from the perfect God who can do no evil. She says yes to God. We get eternal salvation in Jesus if we want it. What do we have to do, though, to actually receive that grace in this way? It's simple. We become devoted to her. If she's the way that he selected to get to us, 
And she's a perfectly wonderful way for us to select to get back to him. We become devoted to her. We have all kinds of devotions, right? We're devoted to our family. We're devoted to our job, our education, our team, you know, our hometown, anything, you know, anything that uh, we view to have inherent value. What's more valuable than making it to heaven? You know, nothing, absolutely nothing. You know what I always say, it's like we make it to heaven, everything else is details. Like that's kind of the goal. That is the actual goal of human life, to be with God for eternity. Nothing's greater than that. And Mary can help us get there. So concretely, how do we live the faith? What does Marian devotion look like? What are you actually doing? Firstly, I think it, it means that we acknowledge that she's our heavenly mother. Some of you heard this story before as well, but many years ago, before my biological mother uh, passed away, I was pacing around my room at the Trappist Abbey in Lafayette, well, in Carleton, where I was taking a little retreat. And the thought of her mortality, the thought that she would die in the future uh, became very heavy to me. It became very present in the moment. I was pacing around and thinking about it and praying and pacing and thinking. And all of a sudden I stopped and I felt in the very, very core of my being, Mary whisper in the center of my soul, I'll be your mother. I'll be your mother. And at the time I was not a Mary fan, actually grew up with some kind of anti-Mary theology. So it's super simple. If she was Jesus's mom and Jesus is God, then she's our spiritual mom. We are inextricably linked in that way. It's just how it is. Moms, you get this way more than us guys do. You carry that child within you. You nurse them, teach them to talk, teach them to walk, teach them to be good. You're their mom. Like nothing can ever change that. You'll even be their mom forever in heaven. Well, that's what Mary is for Jesus. She really had him in her womb, really nursed him, really taught him to talk and walk and be good. And she's his mom forever. And so she's our mom forever. What would you go to your mom with if she were perfect, like had no issues? What would you talk to her about? That's what we bring to Mary. That's exactly what we bring to Mary. Secondly, I think it involves uh, learning to love her like Jesus loved her. Like I just kind of alluded to there, there was a time when I definitely didn't love her. But Mary's perfect, doesn't have any issues, doesn't have any flaws. She's never gonna yell at you, never gonna make you feel like less. Um, she lives, she exists, to help you be with her son forever. That's, that's what her purpose is. That's what the thrust of her existence is now. How could you not love someone that's trying as hard as they possibly can to get you the best possible thing, right? You probably think of something in your past where somebody's doing something like that. I remember when I was little, there was a, 
grocery bag decorating contest. I've probably told this story before as well. A grocery bag decorating contest. And the implication was that it was limited to your classic Crayolas, maybe a few markers, but nothing crazy. Well, my mom, because she wanted me to win, just did it for me. And she used glitter, an illicit bag decorating substance. There was glitter all over that bag, glitter all over our house. It was gold, I remember. And sure enough, I won that $50 gift certificate, but so much crystal Pepsi, I almost got type two diabetes, okay? But she wanted me to, to win. She helped me out in that kind of way. How could you not love Mary, who's the infinite extension of that? And thirdly, and this is the real concrete one, we can consecrate ourselves to her so that we can be better consecrated, better submitted to Jesus. Now, this was a new concept to me years ago. The word consecration uh, literally means association with the sacred. So in consecrating ourselves to her, we're, we're saying, I want to be associated with you forever. I acknowledge your yes to Jesus. I acknowledge the role you had in salvation and in my salvation. I acknowledge that you're my spiritual mom. I love you and I want to love you more. Now we're making it permanent here. So we can officially, volitionally associate ourselves with our Heavenly Mother. How do we do it? How do we consecrate ourselves to Jesus through Mary? There's a great saint, his name's Saint Louis Marie Grion de Montfort. You'll most oftentimes hear him say just Saint de Montfort, right? Or Louis de Montfort. One of my favorite saints because he had an incredible devotion to the Blessed Mother, so much so that he was in a bar one time and some guy at the bar was smack talking the Blessed Mother. So he did what any reasonable person would do and he punched him in the face. Got an ST period in front of his name. That's my kind of saying. There's hope for him, there's hope for all of us, right? There's hope for me. He wrote a book called True Devotion to the Blessed Virgin, True Devotion to Mary. I highly, highly recommend it. There's tons of printings of it. Some of them out there have the preparation for the consecration in it. I highly recommend this spirituality. Of course, it's not necessary. There's, the church doesn't say, and it doesn't, the church doesn't even say Marian devotion is necessary for our salvation. But it's the most helpful devotion we could possibly have. If we're going to have a devotion, it's the most helpful one we could possibly have. So in that book, or separately sold, there is preparation for total consecration, according to St. Louis de Montfort. My favorite copy of it is by Father Hugh Gillespie. He put it out in 2011. Excellent. I have a few copies here in the office. If you happen to snag me and say, hey, if not, it's on Amazon, it's all over the place, it's really easy to get. 
It's 33 days of preparation, spiritual preparation to kind of get the world out, get the garbage out, get the sin out, and then hand over everything we have and everything we are to the Blessed Mother so that it can be better given to Jesus. Best way I've ever heard this explained, think about like if you're a little kid, and to God, we're all just little tiny kids, right? You're a little kid, you're trying to get to your dad, but you're, you know, you have that fat roll on your hand where your hand kind of buckles at it like babies do, and you're just, you're trying to move and it's not working. But how much easier would it be if your mom came along and picked you up and carried you over there? and plopped you in your dad's lap. That would be way, way easier. This is what Mary does for us. She helps us get to the Lord. And one of the ways we do it is this 33 day consecration. I remember the first time I did it, it was probably 17, about 17 years ago. And I had two really strange experiences. One, I got this book, you know, this True Devotion to Mary book. And I started reading it and I was in prayer one day and I looked at the book and I had an actual spiritual love for the book itself. I had never loved an object before in my life on a spiritual level, but I had a true spiritual love for that book. I thought this is really weird. I completed the consecration. And one of the things St. de Montfort recommends when you complete the consecration, it's not necessary, but you can, is to put a little chain somewhere on your body to denote that you're, you are linked, you are submitted to the Blessed Mother, so you're more perfectly submitted to Jesus. So I went down to Lowe's and got a length of chain and put it on my wrist. And I had an actual love for that chain had a love for that sacramental. I had it blessed by Father Don Calloway, actually. And the supernatural grace that I got from those two objects was strange. I mean, I'd never loved a, a physical object before, but they oriented me to this very thing. I think God gave me that grace just to say, hey, buddy, this is a good way to get to me. This is a really, really solid way to get to me. But there's another interesting consecration that we can do before and at the same time. This is a new thing. The aforementioned Father Don Calloway has just released a book on um, consecration to St. Joseph. It's called Consecration to St. Joseph, The Wonders of Our Spiritual Father. This concept of consecrating to Mary and consecrating to Joseph Basically, it's saying, Jesus, you could have done anything. You picked two humans to submit yourself to. I'm going to submit myself to those two humans as well. If it's good enough for you, it's good enough for me. So if we do that, if we enter into this consecrating mind frame, this mind frame that says, you know what, I'm associated with you forever not only for the rest of my life, but forever, because we're eternal. What does an ongoing Marian devotion look like? Well, if you do the consecration, there are prayers 
that you can pray to renew it daily. I have one, where is it? I have my little Our Lady of Knock prayer card. And on the back of Our Lady of Knock prayer card, there is the short form of the Marian consecration. My queen, my mother, I give you all myself and to show my devotion to you. I consecrate to you my eyes, my ears, my mouth, my heart, my entire self. Wherefore, a loving mother, as I am your own, keep me, defend me as your property and possession. That didn't take very long. It's not a long prayer, but it's reorientation to this heavenly mother that we've consecrated ourselves to. Two, um, daily rosary. This is one of the best things I ever decided to do in my life. Praying the rosary on the daily is incredible. The graces that come from it are incredible. I did not grow up in a household where we prayed the rosary, though. Many years ago now, I, I had kind of had my conversion to the faith, my reversion to the faith. And I came back from college and I had a, a rosary hanging from my rear view mirror. Now, if you have a rosary hanging from your rear view mirror and you never take it down and pray it, I recommend not having a rosary hanging from your mirror. Take it down and pray it, carry it around with you. That's better. But I had one hanging there and my dad, God love him. He said something like, what is that? A good luck charm? You know, <laughs> I said, no, it's a rosary. We're Catholic, aren't we? We just didn't pray the rosary. We didn't do Marian things. So a little bit later, I was sitting at my computer doing some work and all of a sudden out of nowhere, something happened to me neurologically. I'm not 100% sure, but all of a sudden it felt like something exploded behind one of my eyes and couldn't talk, slurring my words, hard to type, I felt like I was dying. So I called my dad and I said, hey, you gotta, you gotta come get me and, and take me to the ER. So he came and got me, loaded me into his rig and we're driving to the ER. And I was, it was getting so bad that I was giving him my living will as we're on our way to the ER. It was a, a, a touch and go kind of situation. Well, we got there and that's when I found out that they don't immediately take you at the ER unless you have blood spurting out of your neck. Like that's it. They're like, oh, you're having an aneurysm? Oh, okay, I'll just wait here for two hours, please. Okay. So we get there waiting around for a while in the waiting room. They take me, run all kinds of tests, drug me up, spinal tap, the whole reality. And in the end, they're like, can't find anything. We don't know what happened. It's just kind of not there but clearly something happened. About a week later, my dad comes to me and he says, you know, uh, when we were sitting there in the ER, I uh, prayed a prayer to Mary. And I said, oh really, you know, do tell. And he said, yeah, I said, um, uh, Mary, if you save the kid, I will pray one rosary begrudgingly. And I timed in my mind when he said that prayer occurred, 
to when I started to improve. And it was at the same moment, sitting there all of a sudden out of nowhere, I just started to improve. And so he prayed that rosary and now he has a devotion to our blessed mother. And I told him, you know, you better be thankful. Jesus literally blew something up in my head so you would love our blessed mother. You know? So we have a great devotion to her now. And many of the saints did as well. St. Francis de Sales, who you know I love, he said the greatest method of praying is to pray the rosary. Whoa. You know, for a guy who mastered the spiritual life like he did, that's a huge statement. Um, Pope Pius XI said, the rosary is a powerful weapon to put the demons to flight and to keep oneself from sin. If you desire peace in your hearts, in your homes and in your country, assemble each evening to recite the rosary. Let not even one day pass without saying it, no matter how burdened you may be with many cares and labors. Incredible. It's an incredible prayer. Recitation of the rosary or even the name of Mary is a powerful, powerful antidote to any evil or any temptation. So if we take up this consecration, if we take up these concrete prayers, and I recommend starting with the rosary, if you don't feel like you can do a whole one, try a decade, just one decade. What's gonna happen, what you're gonna notice is you're gonna experience greater intimacy with God because our Lord incarnated has no greater in intimacy with anybody than Mary. So if we are united to her, we are united to him in a special way. So greater intimacy with him, greater trust in being cared for. God gives us a perfect mother. That's care. That's really care. We'll notice deliverance from evil. If there's some stuff in our life, maybe some sin or some scary things and whatnot, that'll start to shake up and break up. God will lead us to the sacraments. He will lead us out of whatever habit is causing that. He'll lead us to inner healing and peace. We'll be delivered from that sin. And the greatest grace of all, eternal salvation. The whole purpose of being devoted to our Blessed Mother, she lives not for herself, is to be united to her son. And the whole purpose of being united to her son is to be with him forever. Being devoted to Mary, consecrating to her, praying to her, that's the definition of living the faith. Questions? Any other tips on growing your devotion to Mary, especially if you don't really, quote unquote, feel it? <laughs> yeah. So I definitely didn't feel it. You know, certainly not. I think the best place to start is simply. I mean, I kind of think that just generally as a principle in human, in human life. But the best place to start is, is simply. And I think it's with Mary perhaps praying even just one Hail Mary a day and saying, hey, I'd like to get to know you better. I'm not really feeling it. 
be honest. You know, the best prayers are totally, totally honest. It's when we shroud things that, that we get damaged. And so our Blessed Mother, our Lord, we can be totally, totally honest. One Hail Mary a day, I'd like to get to know you. I'd like to feel it. This sounds great. You know, if it works, show me that it works. And then don't give up. Keep knocking at that door. Our Lord says very clearly, you keep knocking, someone's going to open it just by right of your persistence. Someone uh, in our area called, uh, the instructor called Mary, the first Christian. And that really impacted uh, my thinking of her. Mary, the first Christian, the first one to believe in Jesus. Absolutely. In terms of human people, when she said, yes, let it be done unto me according to your word. That was the first time someone had said yes to the incarnated Jesus. Her yes opened up our yes. We would have no faith without her yes. How does it make sense <clears throat> that Mary can be born from a mother who sinned while it was impossible for Jesus? This is a great question. Absolutely no one is saved from sin. Absolutely no one is saved apart from the grace of Jesus Christ. How can Mary be saved by the grace of Jesus Christ before she's even born? At the moment of her conception. Here's the question you got to ask yourself. That we have to ask ourselves. Is that too difficult for God? Is it too difficult for God to take the meritorious grace of Jesus dying on the cross and expiating our sins, to take it outside of time and to apply it to Mary's conception even before Jesus is conceived? Is that too difficult for him? It's not, right? This is that thing that I'm always talking about. It's like, well, yeah, I guess if he's being itself, there would be nothing that's too difficult for him. That's what he does. So when she is conceived in the womb of her mother, Anne, she is prevented from receiving the original sin transmitted by St. Anne's humanity, her fallen human nature, by the merits of Jesus by the merits of Jesus. She's the first one that he saves. And she's the first one that says yes to him. This is why they're called the new Adam and the new Eve, right? They make the correct decisions, even at an incredibly minute level at an incredibly early and basic level. So that's what's going on there theologically. It was most appropriate, most just, that Jesus himself would save her so that he could come from her in a natural generation. Nothing extra had to be done. The Holy Spirit overshadowed her, and there he was, deriving 100% of his flesh from her uncorrupted, unfallen flesh. Can I pray the rosary asking for specific intercession for someone else? Absolutely. I do this every single day for everyone 
at St. Patrick's. So when you're making your offerings, when you get to the Our Father bead, the first Our Father bead just beyond the crucifix, that's when you mention your intentions. You say, the Holy Father, for Archbishop Sample, for Father Tim, my goodness, he needs it. And for my buddy Johnny, and for Laura, who's got the gimpy foot, and for like whatever your list is, that's where you add the intentions. And in my list is always the, the people of St. Patrick Catholic Church. So one could say it's most appropriate to offer the rosary for someone else. And that's where you do it. That's where you mention your intention. I have developed the habit of praying for a different person on each bead of my rosary. Is this an inferior rosary versus meditating on each mystery? Well, you know, I'd recommend uh, trying both and drawing that person into that mystery. So my goal, you, know, you talk about like life goals and whatnot. Pope St. John Paul II and St. Teresa of Calcutta both could do this. They were constantly praying the rosary. And so they're praying the rosary, they're praying the actual prescribed prayers of the rosary. They were meditating on the mystery of the rosary and they were doing something else. So especially, you know, you look at Mother Teresa and even in interviews, she's having an interview on television and she is praying the rosary. You can see her praying the rosary as she's having the interview. She's got three things going on at the same time. So I think it's a great thing to, to kind of uh, push ourselves in that direction. It's a beautiful, beautiful notion to um, pray for another person on each beat. Sometimes I do that for the um, Divine Mercy Chapel. For the sake of his sorrowful passion, have mercy on us and on the whole world. A person is, is specifically included in that us. And so it's great to do it in the rosary too. I would just try to, you know, work that muscle and get the mystery and the person in at the same time. Best Marian apparition go. <laughs> well, <clears throat> uh, first of all, I would say, I think it's a good idea to concentrate on church approved Marian apparitions. I think that is the safest and best thing to do. If the church has said, yes, we did a very exhaustive, extensive investigation, and this is a real Marian apparition site, Mary actually appeared here. Those are the ones to concentrate on. So in general, that's one recommendation. Secondarily, in terms of like specific Marian apparition sites, I am very fond of Lourdes. I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again. So went to Lourdes, France. And if you don't know the story of Lourdes, look it up. It's a beautiful story. St. Bernadette, Mary appears to her as a girl. Um, a miraculous spring pops up there. People bathe in that spring and they receive healing. And St. Bernadette is probably our best example of an incorruptible, a saint that doesn't deteriorate when they die. So... When you get off this, or even now, like Google St. Bernadette, she just looks like she's lying there asleep, but she's been dead 
since the 1800s. And so she got that grace. So this spring is so big now that the water can be redirected and you can actually go bathe in it. And uh, you're taken, if you want to, into this little house, they're separated by gender, and you go into like an antechamber and you're basically, you're sitting there in your underoos with a bunch of strangers, okay? It's freezing cold. I think I went in December in France, like freezing cold, sitting there in your underoos. And uh, they lead you into a, a deeper chamber where there's kind of a baptism-esque font. And so there's some volunteers there, same gender volunteers. And they wrap this freezing cold towel around you and put you into the water. And you're supposed to have an intention before they dunk you in this miraculous spring. My intention uh, was to know the Italian language because I was going to school in Italian at the time. I am no whiz in languages by any stretch of the imagination. And when your classes are in Italian and you need to learn and you've only been doing it for half a year or whatever, it's, it can be quite stressful. And so I was quite stressed out and defeated. And uh, so I was like, gosh, you know, blessed mother, I just, I need to understand this language because it's like my vocation and stuff. You know, like if I don't do this, I'm not doing what God has called me to do. So they dunk me, come back out, dry off, get my clothes on and carry on with the pilgrimage. I think we were there for like a week and whatnot. Didn't really notice anything, felt great you know, but, but didn't notice anything in particular. I got back to Rome. I sat in my first class at the Pontifical Gregorian University and the teacher started talking and I knew what he was saying. I had gotten that grace. The Blessed Mother had helped me understand that language so that I could study what the church called me to study so that I could be a priest. So I like lords, I love lords. Uh, what do you recommend for those who struggle with the poetic language, which is often present in Marian devotions? For instance, I give you my life. What if you feel like you should only say this sort of statement to God? Mm. This is the nature of the motion of consecration, the spiritual motion of consecration. The only reason we consecrate to Mary is so that we can be better consecrated to Jesus. It's that concept of if she's the modality that he selected to get to us, then she's a perfectly appropriate modality to get back to him. And so in consecrating to her, we are consecrating to him in a more perfect and shorter way than we could on our own. That truth, that reality, it takes away the uncomfortableness of saying, like, I give you my life. It's like, well, I'm giving you my life so that Jesus can have my life even more. Anything else? Going once. Going twice. And we're sold. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.